0: You're listening to episode number 73 of the Keto Diet Podcast. Today's episode is explicit, so if you are sensitive to swear words or you have little ones around, perhaps skip this episode or wait until you are solo. Today we're chatting about the connection between rules and binging, what your body does when you stop restricting your food, the role of intuitive eating on binging, weight as a proxy for health, and so much more. So stay tuned. Hey, I'm Leanne from healthfulpursuit.com, and this is the Keto Diet Podcast. Keto is a low-carb, high-fat diet where we're switching from a sugar-burning state to becoming fat-burning machines. Starting keto and maintaining it long-term can be quite a challenge if you don't feel supported. My 60-day program, The Keto Bundle, provides you with clear step-by-step how-to on successfully adapting to a ketogenic diet, avoiding common ketogenic struggles, and healing your body completely and fully with a ketogenic diet go to healthfulpursuit.com slash bundle and use the coupon code podcast all in caps no spaces to get 10% off your order exclusive for podcast listeners only now let's get this party started Hey guys, happy Sunday. The show notes and full transcript for today's episode can be found at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E73. The transcript is added to the post about three to five days following the initial air date of this episode. And let's hear from one of our awesome partners. whether I'm on the go or at home in the RV, a good keto snack goes far beyond whether or not it fits my macros. I love snacking on foods that I know do right by my body. And that's why I love Paleo Valley grass-fed beef sticks. Each keto-friendly stick contains 1 billion probiotic CFUs to keep my gut healthy and happy, plus support my immune system. They come in a variety of awesome flavors. My personal favorite is summer sausage. Paleo Valley is offering 20% off their fermented beef stick snacks to listeners of the Keto Diet Podcast. Just head on over to paleovalley.com slash keto to get your instant 20% off. Unsure of the link? Simply check out the show notes of today's episode to get all the details. I got one announcement today, and that is that for the last four years, I've been working on something super exclusive. It's almost like a secret project that's been marinating for a really long time, and I keep going back to it and playing around with it and then letting it sit for a couple of weeks and then going back to it. And after the book launched, The Keto Diet, I finally had time to sit down and really build this thing up. And I've partnered with a fantastic naturopathic doctor, one of my really close friends, and really bring this program together with not only the knowledge I know about the ketogenic diet, but also the medical scientific pieces that I don't focus on as much in my practice. So what does this mean for you? I'll be launching this program soon-ish, and if you want to know more about it, you can head on over to healthfulpursuit.com member to sign up to be one of the first to know more when it becomes available. Today's guest is Isabel Fox and Duke. She's a creator of Stop Fighting Food, a free video training program for women who want to stop feeling crazy around food. After years of trying to overcome emotional eating, binge eating, and chronic weight cycling through traditional and alternative approaches, Isabel discovered some radical new ways to get women over their food issues once and for all, not just by shifting the mindsets of individuals, but by challenging the dominant diet culture as a whole. Her writing and free guide, How to Not Eat Cake, can be found at www.isabelfoxandduke.com and you can watch her free video training series at stopfightingfood.com. So today we're going to be chatting all about solving the binging problem and this is something that I've had to go through personally over many, many years of work and I really struggled because as Isabel will mention... I always thought the problem was with the binging, when in actuality, it was the problem with the rules I set around my body, my diet, just everything that resulted in binging. And that's really where we're going to delve in deep today. It's such an honor to have Isabel on the show, because when I was going through this work of trying to figure out how to not be crazy around food... She played such a key role in my ability to overcome the craziness that was my life when all I cared about was food and my body and thinness and being healthy and all those things. So it's really nice to have her on the show so that we can share her message to you guys who may not be familiar with her work yet. So without further ado, let's cut over to the interview. qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program. Hey, Isabel, how's it going? Hi, it's good. How are you doing? I'm so great. And I'm just so honored that you're on the podcast. Like I was saying before we started recording, you are just amazing. And I'm so honored that we can chat today. Yay! Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's do this. Yeah. Okay. So for listeners that may not be familiar with your work, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? All right, cool.
1: So, you know, I, uh, like so many women <laughs> out there, um, have been dieting for basically, I was, you know, I had been dieting for about as long as I could remember starting from a very, very, very young age. I, I actually had like sort of like an unusually early age that I started dieting. I was um, put on my first diet by my pediatrician when I was three years old. And you've probably even heard me say that before on interviews is like, kind of like where my story begins. The, the drama. Of of the, of Isabel's diet, you know, history. And as a result, right, like I, you know, was sort of always constantly again, for, from as long back as, as, for, from as far back as I can remember, just constantly just trying to control my size, right. Constantly thinking there was something wrong with my body, constantly feeling like, you know, I was too big, whatever that meant, because, you know, I'd, been told literally as a very, very small child, you know, she's a little high on the baby BMI scale. You know, my poor parents, you know, doing their sort of what they thought was ultimate due diligence in parenthood. Of course, you know, we're going to we're going to put her on the broccoli and skim milk diet and make sure like our baby is thin enough, which sounds crazy in retrospect, but this is this is actually what happened to me and this is happening all the time, right? I mean, I think it's actually gotten worse in the past 20 years as there's been so much confusion about weight and health and has and how weight has sort of become um, this proxy for health, right? This weight has become the sort of ultimate indicator of health, which you know, historically it was not, this is sort of a relatively new concept that, you know, thinness and health are the same thing. So, yeah. So just again, grew up and I think everyone's stories are a little bit different, but most women at some point in their lives, and I was no different, got the message that my body wasn't okay. And that I needed to try to become as thin as I possibly could. And so my entire young adult, you know, my entire childhood, basically, into my teen years through the beginning of college, was just spent constantly trying to lose weight at any cost, right? Just constantly trying to figure out what's the next thing that's going to make me thin? What's the next like magical unicorn solution that's going to get this weight off? You know, what's the, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? How can I, how am I going to finally get thin enough? And how am I going to finally do this and finally sort of have this like magical rainbow fairy unicorn Life that I associated within this, and I, as a result, right? I would you know, kind of, put, I was put on these sort of restrictive diets, and or put myself on these restrictive diets, which happened pretty early on. I think by the time I was ten or eleven, I was actively restricting on my own. It wasn't my pediatrician anymore or my parents. I was doing it all by myself, and I would never be able to stick to them. You know, I would, I would, I would be so good for like a week or or a day or, you know, maybe at most a few weeks or a month or, you know, whatever the timeframe was, the timeframe fluctuated, but I'd be so good and I'd be in control and I'd be like hanging on. I'd be like, hell yeah, this time I got it. And then something would happen and I would slip, I would fall. And when I would fall, I would fall so intensely, so dramatically, right? I would, I it would, I'd be like ripping through the cabinets, like just looking like weird, you know, eating peanut butter out of the jar, standing up, you know, in front of the fridge, just hoping that no one comes down and catches me, right? This was, this was sort of the, this is the, the big trope that I often share about my experience with binge eating, you know, is it was this frantic mental state of, oh my gosh, how much food can I get in before I have to start my diet tomorrow? right? Like I, I've fallen off the wagon. I, I might as well just eat everything that isn't nailed down because tomorrow I promise I'm never going to eat peanut butter ever again. Or tomorrow I promise I'm going to get back on day one starts tomorrow. So today I'm just going to go basically completely ape shit on my cabinets. And, you know, this was just a pattern that, followed me most of my life until I finally found recovery, which, you know, I'll get to in a moment. But this pattern of like, okay, just get, just get it together. Just get it under control. Just get your food right. Okay. Just stick to your diet. Just stick to the thing, whatever the magical thing is this week, just stick to it. Just do it. This is going to be the thing that gets you there. And then like, again, something would happen. Life would happen an emotional trigger would happen. Whatever it was would happen. Or I would just crack, right? I would just crack from hunger in some instances, whatever it was. I would have a moment, I would fall, I would crack. And when I would crack, it was like, you know, I would just like fall into this like intense depths of of binge eating basically, right? I would, it was either, you know, just cracking from hunger and just like, oh my gosh, I just can't stop myself just on autopilot, just eating all the things. Or it would be again, like falling off the wagon eating, right? Like, oh, well, I have already screwed up. So I might as well just eat everything that isn't nailed down tonight. And then tomorrow day one, we'll start again. And there were all these different, it was like a constant negotiation in my head of like, what can I eat today? What can I eat today? You know, um, what? Can, oh God, I already screwed up. Oh, you shouldn't have eaten that. Oh, wait, don't eat that. Oh, you know, maybe don't go to dinner with so-and-so because they're not going to want to eat dessert. And if you have a bite of dessert, you're going to completely lose your mind. Right. And it was just like my entire life at some point, revolved around managing this crazy cycle (laughs) of like, how am I going to get my weight under control? And then of course, madly losing control and then starting again. And of course, you know, the reality of the situation was for me personally, you know, my weight was just going up and up and up over time. Like I'd lose weight and I'd gain weight and I'd lose weight and I'd gain weight and I'd lose weight and I'd gain weight. But the trend over time was certainly up, not stable or down, right? The trend over time was certainly up. And it was just, you know, I just couldn't, it, my life, I mean, I think the most painful part about this whole thing was just like my whole life revolved around where I was in the cycle. Was I being good? Was I being bad? Was my way up? Was my way down? Like that dictated my whole self-esteem. It dictated, you know, just whether or not I was having a good day or a bad day. It, it, it was like, it was, it was full on obsession i mean really in my in my case which was a little you know certainly a severe case but i think that anyone who's ever you know dieted for weight loss can relate to this and to some extent maybe not as severely as i as i experienced it But yeah, it was just like, this was my life. Like it was, I sometimes describe it as like the ticker tape in the back of my life. You know, I was like, oh, I was going to school and I was doing family stuff and, you know, this was happening, that was happening. But the ticker tape in the background all the time was food, 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 food. What, What can I eat? What can I not eat? What should I eat? What I shouldn't eat? How much do I weigh? Da, 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 right? Like that was just the ticker tape of the, it was like the background noise to my life. And, you know, at some point, I ended up getting, you know, again, progressively, as time went on, I got more and more desperate to lose weight, and more and more desperate to try to control my body, my attachment to thinness at all costs was just increasing and increasing and increasing. And, I, uh, and I just, and you know, of course, along the way, I just kept thinking, God, what the hell is wrong with me that I can't just do this? What the hell is wrong with me that I just can't stick to this? What the hell is wrong with me that I can't just make myself thin? I'm supposed to be able to just make myself thin. What the hell is wrong with me, right? I mean, that was like sort of an undertone narrative was what the hell is wrong with me that I can't do this. Um, certainly anytime I would fail, whenever I was on a new diet, I thought like this will be it. This is the one. But certainly when things would go badly for me, when I would be in the sort of the binge eating, the rebellion phase of the cycle, I was the undertone was what the hell is wrong with me, you know, and so at some point, I got so desperate to lose weight that I, you know, I I got really heavy into appetite suppressants, I just started doing drugs, basically, it was again, it was weight loss at all costs, it wasn't about health, it wasn't about anything, it was about just being thin at all costs. And it, you know, that ultimately ended up thankfully getting me into rehab. And I ended up going, you know, being diagnosed for the first time in my life with binge eating disorder, which is a little bit of a misnomer, right? Because, you know, I think binge eating disorder really is just an eating disorder in which you also happen to be binging as part of your disordered eating cycle. So yeah, so I finally got treatment and I finally started to like actually think, oh wow, like you have a dysfunctional relationship with food. Like the problem isn't that you can't control yourself. The problem isn't that you just keep breaking your diet. The problem is that like your entire life revolves around trying to be thin. <laughs> your entire life revolves around food in some capacity, right? Like you have a super disordered relationship with food and you need to deal with that, right? Like this is this is not this is not this has become something beyond just I can't stick to my diet, right? This has become like craziness. And so, you know, it actually, believe it or not, took me a really, really long time, even though I sort of identified, you know, as like, you know, as kind of as a disordered eater and I recognized there was something like going on in my head and it wasn't just about the breaking my diet and it wasn't just about the binging. I definitely for many years in treatment Really was convinced that the binge eating was some, you know, was like, like, you know, like the real problem, right? And the restriction wasn't really a problem. It was really the binging that was a problem. And and by buying into that narrative for so long, even in the context of treatment, which was encouraged in a lot of the treatment, you know, sort of places that I went for treatment, you know, and I tried so many different things to kind of quote unquote, get over this problem. You know, I spent years trying to get over this problem. After my first stint in rehab, you know, I was still struggled for years and years trying to get over it. But I kept getting sort of conflicted messages, you know, like one message would be like, you know, don't diet, don't restrict, don't diet restrict. But then the other message would be like, but make sure you don't eat too much, but make sure you don't eat too much. Right. So it was like, I was felt like I was constantly straddling this weird line um, uh, between like, recovering theoretically from restrictive disordered eating, but then also like make sure you don't eat too much, right? And so, you know, that was ended up being a really dysfunctional line that I was straddling for a long time, even in the context of recovery until, you know, finally, I was just like, oh my gosh, like, I just can't, I just can't do this anymore. Like, I just can't stay obsessed with trying to control my food and my weight at all all costs. Like, I just don't give a shit anymore. Like, I just cannot continue to care. This cannot be my life. Like my life cannot revolve around what I ate that day. And I sort of, again, this is the short version of the story. There's so many different pieces of the story that I I tell the story a little differently every time I do an interview. But, you know, at some point I just was like, I just can't do this anymore. I mean, the punchline is I just kind of surrendered. And I was just like, I just cannot spend my days obsessed with what I ate that day, worrying about, you know, whether or not I was gonna gain weight. Worrying, I just I just can't do this anymore. This just like at some point I was like, you know what? Fine. If I gain weight, fine. I don't give a shit. I cannot stand to think about this anymore. I just want to go live my life. I just don't have a life outside of food. I just kind of like, you know, I really did sort of just like let go of restrictions. I was like, you know, my food is what my food is. Like if I, if I eat a cupcake when I'm sad, whatever, if I eat 10 cupcakes when I'm sad, whatever, like I had this sort of deep, like very, like kind of spiritual, like acceptance of like, whatever the hell happens with my food is what happens with my food. Like, I I can't, I can't be obsessed with this anymore. I can't think about this anymore. I got to move on. Like I just, I fuck it. Excuse my language, you know? And, and what was so kind of like magical that I wasn't like expecting was it was like when I made that decision to just be like, my life can't revolve around this anymore. Like I I just, I don't, I can't care about this anymore. I don't have the energy to care about this anymore. It was like my food just kind of fell into place. Like it just sort of became food. Like all of a sudden, you know, when people say, and this used to piss me off so much when people would say, what's the big deal? Just eat. It's just food. And I never got that. I could never get, I would get so upset when people would say that. I'd be like, you don't understand. I have an eating disorder. You don't understand. It is a big deal, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, after this moment of like just full surrender, like full acceptance of like, you know what, whatever I ate, ate, eat today is fine. It's fine. It's like when I decided it wasn't a big deal, All of a sudden, it wasn't anymore. It was like all of a sudden, I got what these people were talking about when they said food is just food. All of a sudden, food just started being food. It stopped having this like magical, mythical power over me, right? It was just food. Like, who cares, right? Like, it was like all of a sudden, I got that it was, it really was just food. And if I eat five cupcakes, it's not the end of the world, right? Like, little devils with red horns aren't gonna come like bring me under it's okay. I am like fundamentally okay, no matter what I eat, no matter what my health status is, no matter, I'm fundamentally okay. I don't need to hate myself for this, right? I don't need to spend my life obsessed with this. It really is okay. And when I was like, when I had that mental clarity like that sanity that perspective right that perspective that you know quote-unquote normal leaders they just take it for granted they're running around just not giving a shit and their food just is what their food is right and we all you know everyone with like food issues is like how do they do that right and it's like the difference between them and you or like them and anyone who's struggling with food right is really just like the level of like how much you give a shit, right? It's like how, it's like how upset, how, how attached you are to needing your food to look a certain way or else all hell will break loose and your life will be over and no one will love you, right? Like that, that tension is sort of what creates, it's the fuel that drives like binge eating and diet and cycling and the obsession and the emotional eating and all of this stuff, right? And so it's like, when I finally let go of Just the, the, again, the mental, like when I was just finally like, you know what, whatever, man, whatever, I don't have the, you know, I just don't have the energy to care about this. I just can't continue for this. I can't, this can't be my life. I just, I give up. I give up. That was like this massive it was like all of the sudden I it was like I started I could I could operate like all those quote unquote normal eaters who just didn't really think it was a big deal, who just didn't really care, who just ate what they wanted and didn't really think about it and moved on with their lives. It was like all of a sudden I, I could do that. And so, you know, that's what ended up happening It was like my food just became my food, you know, I, I like, you know, I pretty much my biological instincts are, you know, pretty much running the show, right? It's like, when I'm hungry, I was like, Oh, it's time to eat. Like when I'm full, I like don't really care to keep eating, typically, unless it's super good. And then in which case, I do get really full. And that's okay, too you know, and I, uh, I, you know, I eat what I want. And the reality of the situation is because I'm not constantly like on some restrictive diet being told like, Oh, don't touch that toy, you can't have that toy. I don't feel the need to grab for the toy all the time. Like I actually want a variety of different foods, naturally, like, sure, sometimes I want the cupcake, but like, almost, oh, you know, a good portion of the time, probably most of the time, I actually want like balanced meals that make me feel good and allow me to like do my job and go have fun with my friends. And this is all, you know, this ability to just sort of like eat and like, quote unquote, normally is completely because of a mental shift, right? Like I could never have forced myself into that in that old dieter, like the crazy diet mentality that I used to live in that used to be my life. And so now, you know, that's what I do. Like now that's what I teach is I teach, you know, how do you actually have a mental shift? How do you actually start to think like these quote unquote normal eaters who just like eat their food and it's no big deal and they generally make like relatively healthful choices that make their bodies feel good but like also sometimes just eat for pleasure and that's cool too and it's no big deal like how do you actually teach that because that's not it's not a diet it's not a to-do list it's not you know a one two three step five six you know like it's it is a it is a mental transformation it is a mental mind shift change And so, you know, that's what I'm committed to teaching. And that's, you know, that's what I've been teaching pretty much ever since. Eight years now, I've been teaching, you know, how to actually think like a quote unquote normal eater, how to actually relax around food, actually how to have a healthy, normal relationship with food rather than like a crazy, insane, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. Oh my God, every bite matters. Right? Like instead of like a tense, restrained, uh, relationship with food. How, you know, people always say like, people say love, hate, right? Like it's just this, oh, uh, love, hate, uh, uh, right? How do you move away? How do you actually not have a love, hate relationship with food and just have like a, I don't know, it's kind of
0: pleasurable and fun. And it's also not a big deal relationship with food. More in my interview with Isabel Fox and Duke after this message from one of our podcast partners. I like to take extra precautions to support my gut during cold and flu season. The stress of daily life, work, and traveling can take a toll on anyone's immune system, and none of us have time to get sick. Am I right? I like to take a strong probiotic as a way to repopulate my healthy gut bacteria, which leads to a stronger immune system. Wolf Clinic Royal Flora is my choice for soil-based probiotics. Wolf Clinic is offering 20% off their probiotics to U.S. and Canadian listeners of the Keto Diet Podcast. Head to healthfulpursuit.com slash gut and use the coupon code gut all in caps no spaces at checkout to receive 20% off unsure of the link simply check out the show notes of today's episode to get all the details Yeah, it's so interesting because I remember the first time I heard your story like years ago while I was kind of dabbling in like, I think I'm pretty fed up with this, but I don't know how to move on with this. And very much in that same space, I had bulimia and it was just this on off thing from you know bulimia back to anorexia and back again. And I remember hearing your story for the first time and being like, I just don't understand (laughs) how, like, how is this even possible? And for me, it was a little bit different because it sounds like for you, it was thinness is my number one goal. And for me, initially, when I was younger, it was thinness is my number one goal. But then I masked it with, but I'm doing a healthy thing. And it's all about health and healthy eating and healthy living. Do you see that a lot in your practice where women are like, yeah, but I mean, this is healthy. So what's a big deal? So I do see it a lot.
1: So here's my question to that. So it's like when people say, no, 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 it's not about thinness; it's about health. Like number one, I think a lot of the times that's bullshit, right? Like a lot of people use the words health to mask a desire for thinness, right? It's like the politically correct way to say thin is healthy. Like people will say to me, like, oh, that low cal thing is super healthy, and I'm like, low cal is super like, what are you talking about? Like you're clearly trying to lose weight. Like this is about thinness. This isn't about health. This about thinness. Or people. People will be confused by that because they'll be like wait what do you mean isn't thin and health doesn't health and thinness mean the same thing right i mean for a lot of people they can there's that confusion too of thinness and health meaning the same thing which they don't which we can talk about i do think absolutely in the past probably 20 to 30 years or certainly in the past 10 years there's also been like a legitimate increase rise in anxiety around health when it comes to food so like quote unquote orthorexic behaviors meaning like people who Fully, truly, it's actually legitimately not about weight. They don't care about weight at all. They may even be trying to put on weight for whatever reason, but there's like an enormous amount of anxiety about eating the healthful thing, like almost in sort of like an OCD kind of a way, right? Like, oh my gosh, like if I eat something that's not healthy, I'm going to freak out. And I I actually relate to that. Like that was definitely one of the behaviors on my carousel of disordered eating behaviors was like panic when I would eat something that I considered to be like, quote unquote, unhealthy, or, or in my mind, it felt dangerous, right? Like, I remember having this sort of like, panic, I would have panic attacks, like it like about like, farm raised salmon, like I read somewhere on some blog that farm raised salmon, like increased your chances of some kind of cancer, like, I don't even know what I read. But I had this like, just panic about farm-raised salmon. Like it was a full-on like, oh my gosh, like I can't eat farm-raised salmon. And so, yeah, so I think that there's, you know, it's a combination of all of those things. Like number one, you know, I think, again, a lot of people who say that they're pursuing health when they're really getting honest with themselves are also pursuing thinness, are also pursuing... And specifically, you know, not even necessarily thinness for the purpose of health, but thinness for the purpose of status, right? Like there a lot of people who claim to be pr- pursuing health. It's like health is this great rationalization for pursuing the status of thinness, right? Like the body, you know, the, 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 uh, the, I want to look good to other people and I want other people to think I'm hot. Like, you know, like that's really, what I think realistically, like 90, you know, I would say 80% of people who say, oh, I'm just doing this for health. There's definitely... Definitely a part of them that's also emotionally attached to looking a certain way. But then again, also, certainly, even on the health front, th- there is absolutely a rise, I think you know, with sort of the advent of the internet and like the just a proliferation of health media that sort of come about in the past, let's call it 10 to 15 years, there is also certainly a rise of like, kind of like, quote, unquote, orthorexic behaviors, or just like, you know, sort of obsession or sort of, you know, compulsive restriction around health in a way that, is arguably not very mentally healthy, healthful, and and quite frankly, also in a way that can is arguably dangerous to one's physical health, right? What's interesting about orthorexia, or sort of obsession with health, like mental health, you know, um, mental obsession with like, maintaining specific diet just for health and not wanting to veer from that, um, is that there's sort of like a bell curve, right? Like caring about health is healthy up until to a point, and then once you hit a certain point in the bell curve and become sort of too obsessive, you actually start to run the risk of missing like major vital nutrients, right? And a lot of people who struggle with orthorexia, what they actually tend to become physically sick with are, are signs of malnutrition. So that's both of those are are possible. But I I again, I would say, I don't think I can stress this enough. I find that like, you know, 80% of people who are like, I'm just trying to be healthy, you know, when they're really being honest with themselves or also have some sort of attachment to their bodies looking a certain way for the outside world. Mm,
0: Yeah, exactly. And so what? like you chatted a little bit about, you know, how you educate people to kind of let that go and you're right it is very much a mindset and I got to that space too of like I legit don't even care anymore. And I yeah. you know like I I just I can't care anymore cuz I'll probably die if I think about this for one more day. Like I just I can't continue on this path. And so for women listening that are I know when I first grasped this concept, even just a little bit of what you're talking about, it's terrifying because there's that, you're teetering on the edge of like, I can't do this, but I don't understand my life without this. Yeah. What thoughts do you have when it comes to that? Like that, just that terror, like it is terror. I remember just being frozen, crying, just like I can't this, but I don't know what, like, what, what do I do? What does my life look like?
1: Well, so there's a few things. I mean, I think that the the terror, you know, is sort of an over-exaggerated terror for most people, right? Like in the sense that most people who are experiencing this terror have only ever experienced extreme restriction followed by binging. And in their minds, not restricting equals binging, equals like out of control, binging, rebellious, get it in now, right? For a lot of people, that's, those are like the only two modes of operation that they have. Right For dieters in particular, it's like our only two modes of operation are on the wagon, off the wagon, on the wagon, off the wagon, right? So the idea of not being on the wagon is really scary because in our minds, when we're not on the wagon, that means like bad things are happening, like food's out of control. Like, you know, like, you know, it's just like, it's like a total free for all and like everything's crazy and wild. And I think that there's this image of like, if I didn't put myself back on the wagon after after those moments, I would be like, you know, violent... Regard from Willy Wonka, I'd be like the blueberry who just like, you know, just uh, like grows literally until the point of explosion, right? Like there's this feeling of, it's just never going to end. And I, I have no ability, I have no satiation point. It's just, I'll just eat forever and ever and ever and ever. If I don't actively restrain myself, if I don't actively sit on my hands trying not to eat, I'll just eat and eat and eat. And, eat and, eat. and so that's sort of, I think how most dieters feel about it, right? I mean, that was certainly my belief for a very long time was if I let myself just quote unquote, eat what I want, I would just eat and eat, 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 eat forever. And I am a quote, food addict, and it would just never end. And it would just go on and on and on. And that was my belief. Now, the reason that was my belief is because that was my experience as a dieter, as a person who was always restricting. Anytime I would let go of restrictions, that would would happen. I would go on these rampant wild binge eating episodes. And every time I would have a binge eating episode after a period of restriction, it would sort of, you know, like solidify this narrative of like, I can't control myself. I'm a food addict, you know, whatever the narrative was. And so this narrative of I'm not to be trusted with food, I'm there's something wrong with me, I have a chip missing, and I need to actively sit on my hands and try not to eat, or all hell will break loose. And the reality of the situation is that's just not in alignment with biological reality. Like the biological reality is when we let ourselves eat what we want, at some point, our bodies actually do become like full and satisfied. Um, like at some point, you know, if we're underweight, we'll gain weight up to a point, but then like at some point we'll just become a weight, we'll become our quote unquote natural weight or what, you know, eating disorder professionals call like set point weight, which basically just means like your body has a natural weight that it wants to be, that it's comfortable at. If you suppress it for too long, you're going to probably rebound and binge until you get back there. And there are absolutely, you know, I think, you know, what's really challenging is people will say like, no, 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 no. Like I was binging for six months when I stopped dieting, da, 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 da. you know, and I think that there's a lot of reasons why that happens too. you know, very few people who have that story, really are not dieting right there's also you know you've probably heard me talk about this concept of like emotional restriction where like I'm 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 binging I'm eating everything that isn't nailed down but I'm judging myself violently for it so I'm constantly in this state of like last supper mode where like I have you know telling myself I better get this under control tomorrow and so of course I better get it all in now and so there's sort of all of these different both psychological and physiological sort of um things that I think dieters experience around food that create this sense of feeling totally out of control whenever I slip. But the reality of the situation is like, you, your body does work, you do actually have biological signals that, you know, kind of, tell you like when it, what it needs and when it needs it. And in the absence of these heavy restraints, you know, you, you will at some point just get to a point where food is kind of just happening to you, right? Like your, your, your biological instincts will just work. Biological instincts typically just work on their own unless we interfere with them. So dieting would be like a heavy interference with our biological instincts, right? Like if I try to, I mean, if I try to like let, decrease my food, if I'm trying to control my food, basically, right? if I'm trying to control my food, it's sort of like trying to control my breath, right? Like there's only so long I can do it before I'm going to start gasping for air. But the truth is when I just forget about my breath when I don't worry about my breath, my breath just happens. It's a biological instinct. I don't need to like be told how much to breathe in, how much to breathe out. You know, my body's just kind of doing it. Like I just am naturally inclined to breathe in the amount of oxygen that my that I need and breathe out the amount of oxygen that I need. And eating is is actually, believe it or not, like functions pretty similarly when we stop screwing with it, um, when we stop, you know, attempting to control it and trying to do the <laughs> dance with food. But yeah, but it is I think it is really scary. You know, in the beginning, I think that there's this there's this terrible fear that like, you know, you know, I'm a special snowflake. My biology is broken. You know, there is something deeply wrong with me. You don't understand. Again, blah, 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 you know, all of the stuff of like, no, for me, I really am going to be a violet Beauregard regard. And I am going to be like a blueberry who just keeps growing until I literally explode to death. So yeah, I think that that's, you know, like I always try and like sort of have my clients like take some solace in the fact that this is like, you know, a biologically instinctive process, like, like animals who have no conscious thought just eat the amount of food that's right for their bodies without even thinking about it, right? Like this literally is a biological instinct. You did this perfectly as a baby. It is your birthright to just eat naturally and normally just, you know, without really thinking about it. But the second we interfere, the second we try to control it, you know, shit goes haywire, right? It's just kind of, again, like if I try to control my breath, at some point I'm going to start gasping for air. Right? Similarly, if I try to control my food, at some point I'm going to start, quote, gasping for food. So yeah, so I think that that's you know number one thing t- to remember, right? Is like you're not really probably a special snowflake. Like your body does work. You did this as a baby naturally at one point. The only reason you're not doing it now is because you're so overwhelmed with all the diet noise. You're so overwhelmed with all the body shame and the food judgment, and all the craziness, right? That it's like you can't even. You're 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 overwhelming your natural instincts. When in reality, your natural instincts around food work pretty well on their own when you just get out of the way. So yeah, so that's sort of like number one. And I think, you know, sometimes I, I do find that like a practice of intuitive eating, right, with like a practice of listening to your body and actually noticing, you know, am I hungry? Am I full? You know, how does my body actually feel? you know that can be a really helpful way to to sort of get through that transitional period from you know living in this land of craziness and sort of disordered eating and being scared to let go and actually getting to the point of letting go because in the process of of learning about intuitive eating and in the process of learning how to listen to our body signals we realize that our body signals are there right we realize oh Like I actually do have a body that works. Like I actually do have a a body that like does things like become hungry and becomes full. And my relationship with food and my desires for food do shift to some extent depending on how hungry I am and how full I am. I could still want to keep eating when I'm past the point of, you know, quote unquote past the point of full or whatever for various different reasons. But like it's when you're starting to when you start to just take inventory, just start to observe how your body is feeling, which most dieters don't do at all, right? Most dieters are so practiced at just ignoring their bodies, just ignoring the fact that they actually have hunger and fullness signals, just ignoring their biological signals around food entirely, you you know, and instead are just trying to just eat what's on the meal plan or whatever. When we actually start to like, just notice like, Oh, yeah, I actually do have like hunger signals, I actually do have biological instincts around this, you know, that kind of, I think, can help bridge the gap of sort of realizing and recognizing, you know, there are so many different sort of safety stops in place just naturally, right? Like, you're not going to become Violet Beauregard, you're going to become a weight that's helpful and natural and easy for you to maintain. And that's probably the weight that you're supposed to be. And that's, you know, the weight that we do body image work around, right? Because that's the weight that really is, that's the weight that's healthy for you is the weight that you're able to maintain easily without much effort in reality.
0: Mm, Yeah, such good things that you just said. And I think that birthright piece and something that I had to remind myself of constantly is like, I did this without effort, For years before I even knew what my body like, I just I remember moving around when I was a kid and not caring and eating what I wanted. And my sister liked to eat all the time, whereas I liked just maybe eating once or twice a day. I was never like the snacker. But then you know, di- you know, the diet industry told me, okay, I need to eat every two hours, otherwise my, my metabolism will slow down. So then I'm like packing snacks and obsessing about, oh my gosh, when's my next meal? And but I don't want to eat, but I have to eat, and we're made not to trust our bodies and that and that comes over time and for you it happened really young and for others it's like when we're 20 30 something or even women that go through menopause that ate freely up until they turn 50 and all of a sudden their body is changing and now they're told that they need to watch what they eat because how could their body know? Mm, and, and so sad. I know it's so sad and something you see constantly I'm sure. More on my interview with Isabel Fox and Duke after this message from one of our podcast partners. I love being Canadian, the home of the true North, strong and free. But gosh, am I jealous that y'all in the US get access to Thrive Market. For all of my pals south of the border, my friends at Thrive Market are offering you $20 off your first three boxes of groceries, plus free shipping and a 30-day free trial. That's a total of $60 in savings, equivalent of over three tubs of collagen or over four free pounds of cacao butter, or get this, a half year's supply of free digestive enzymes, all for switching to Thrive Market for your online grocery needs. So on top of their everyday wholesale prices, the extra $60 off your first three orders plus free shipping, you're going to transform a regular $100 grocery run into an $80 Thrive Market order for three months in a row for the same amount of things. Go to ThriveMarket.com/slash keto to get your instant $60 off free shipping and a free 30-day membership. This offer is available to new Thrive Market customers only. And if you're unsure of the link, simply check out the show notes for today's episode to get all the details. So How do we break down the whole weight equals health thing? I know it's taken me personally a couple of years to kind of get a sense of it. But can we talk a little bit more about how weight doesn't equal health and all of that? (laughs)
1: Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So um, I think before we even get into health, I mean, like there's a lot of sort of myth busting that has to go on. So I'll start by just saying like, you know, just like there is diversity in skin color and height and eye color and hair color, right? Different body types are actually just biologically just and metabolically just a little bit different, right? Like different shapes, different amount of muscle, different amount of like fat to muscle ratio, different all sorts of stuff, right? Our bodies are just all a little different. We're not all supposed to be like, you know, iPhone fives, like exactly the same printed on the factory line, right? And that's historically always been been the case, right? So like even thousands and thousands of years ago, like BC, you know, there was the, um, uh, like, you know, there are actually, you can like dig up and you'll see like, there'll be like little like caveman drawings of like women who are plumper versus women who are thinner, right? Like there just always existed this natural body diversity. I think that, you know, there's been like this, there's this myth that all of a sudden like, you know, fatness above a size BMI 25 or whatever is like a new phenomenon. Like it just started to exist this century and that's not entirely. Entirely True, right? For sure, you know, weights on average are right have risen over the past 100 years, probably because, you know, less people are starving to death. And there's just a greater food supply and various other reasons as well that I could go into, but they're kind of boring. Um, But the reality of the situation is body diversity, right? So, just the idea that some people might naturally be more inclined towards one body type versus another has always existed since the beginning of human history, right? We were never iPhone fives. We were never meant to all just be the same size. We were always supposed to have, and we always have had natural variation and diversity in, in size, right? And just size and shape and bigger boobs and smaller boobs and bigger butt and smaller butt and, you know, all the things, just natural diversity uh, of size, right? And so, you know, one, it's, it is, actually relatively recently in history that we've really started to kind of try to make everyone look the same, like try, like basically like decided like, oh, like we see a correlation between like certain sizes. And certain health health statuses or like chronic health conditions, so we're just going to decide that being a certain within a certain size range is a is a solid proxy for health, basically. And we're just going to encourage everyone to try and get to that size, and hopefully that'll make them have less chronic illnesses, which is not actually true. Um, the reality of the situation is, you, you know, just forcing your like square peg of a body into like the round hole that society dictates for you is probably not not like the answer to chronic illnesses. And so, you know, I'll sort of quickly explain that essentially, you know, when I say the two things are correlated, right? So uh, higher body weights tend to be correlated with certain specific kinds of chronic health conditions, for instance, like diabetes or heart disease. But that doesn't necessarily mean that being higher body shape or size causes... Health conditions like diabetes or heart disease. Correlation and causation are very different things statistically. So anyone who's taken a statistic class will will understand what I mean. But so basically, what that means is like they often go together, right? They often happen at the same time. Higher body weights and chronic health conditions. And again, often, not always, m- probably much less than you actually think. But they're correlated. They go together more, you know, more often than than the alternative. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they cause the same. That they're that one causes the other. And I'll give you an example. Example, like another great example of the difference between causation and correlation. So like people like Linda Bacon, who is the author of Health at Every Size, she says, you know, having yellow teeth is also correlated with lung cancer, right? So these two things often go together. If you have yellow teeth, you're more likely to have, right? If you have lung cancer, you're more likely to have yellow teeth than if you than the alternative, right? They're correlated. They're positively correlated. When one goes up, the other tends to go up as well. And so, you know, uh, uh, by this logic, right, if we decided that correlation meant that one causes the other and that one is the cause of the other, we would all be racing around whitening our teeth as a preventative measure for lung cancer. Right. When in reality, there's probably this other third party thing going on called smoking right? Like correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. It could mean any number of things. So for the instance of, you know, lung cancer and, and teeth whitening, right? (laughs) Whitening your teeth probably isn't going to cure your lung cancer, even though these things are correlated, right? So same thing happens with um, weight and health, right? Like there's this sort of, you know, Correlation and to, uh, sort of in a grand effort to just simplify medicine and just sort of reduce medicine down to the most like easy, easy to calculate. Let's spend as little time with patients and actually getting to know them as we possibly can, and let's just fit them into boxes. We're just going to say, oh, you know what? You're just more likely to l- l- have l- fewer chronic health conditions if you're this around this size range. So we're just going to try and tell you to go to that size range, despite the fact that that size range A might not be possible for you, B n- might not be healthy for your particular Particularly unique body, right? Like, just because one weight is healthy for someone doesn't mean that it's healthy for another person, again, because of the sort of natural diversity that exists in body sizes, right? So this is sort of, you know, a really big conversation. But ultimately, there's a lot of problems in the way that we look at weight and health in our society, right, in our certainly in our medical system, there's a lot of weight biases in our medical system that sort of are producing a lot of very, very bad, very dangerous science where, you know, every time a person goes into a doctor's office, they're told, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight, like it's like a full on panacea for every type of possible chronic health condition. When the reality of the situation is for a lot of people with chronic health conditions, losing weight's not going to do anything for them unless, you know, there are also happen- those, you know, the meds that they're taking also happen to be correlative behaviors that are improving their their health condition, right? So when people are like, oh, I reversed my diabetes, you know, by, and I lost 50 pounds. It's like, well, you know, I don't know if losing 50 pounds actually like does anything about your blood sugar or reverses diabetes. But if you lost 50 pounds because you were, you know, eating fewer carbs or, you know, whatever it was then, yeah, that's like might be a correlative behavior that might reduce, you know, bring down your blood sugar, right? So there's this sort of third party thing called a behavior, health behavior, that people completely overlook, right? We we love to think that health and weight are the same thing. But the reality of the situation is that there's not a ton of evidence that actual loss of fat cells – you know, reduces things like heart disease or diabetes or other quote unquote weight related illnesses, much more likely what's actually making an impact on people's health is the fact that they're changing their health behaviors, right? They're eating, they're, they're balancing their blood sugar sugar in a more effective way. They're eating more fruits and vegetables. They're moving their bodies on a regular basis, those kinds of things, which just happen to be correlated with both reduced weight and like, quote, unquote, better health outcomes. So yeah, so that's sort of my very, that's a challenging and it's a big question that you just asked me. But that's sort of my like, first initial attempts at answering that question.
0: Yeah, it it is so complicated. And I know when I started dabbling in like the whole health at every size, I really couldn't wrap my head around it because it is such a huge topic. Something that Jess Baker said in a random interview, and I was listening to it in the car driving back from the chiropractor or something. And she said, and very similar to what you just said is like, try not to think of health at every size because it's a big topic for me. And (laughs) what she said is like, it's healthy behaviors. When you surround your life with healthy behaviors, whatever size you end up being, that's your health at your size. So instead of thinking of like, oh my gosh, health at every size, that's huge. Jess was (laughs) like, it's just about healthy behaviors. And what's interesting is like everyone's healthy behaviors is different. Like I know that I need to practice yoga every day in order to feel just Good and balanced and and grounded, um, and that's a healthy behavior that I have. But it's not like I have to practice yoga every day; otherwise, I'm not a worthy human. Which is right. the, the story I used to tell myself. So even though you're doing the same things, it's a different relationship with it. Would you agree that it's like if it's too big of a concept because it is very huge? Just focusing on behaviors that make you feel good, make you you know in that headspace to make it manageable for people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's you know ultimately my perspective on health is pursue healthful behaviors. Again, like I think what Jess said is like thought on, right? Like whatever body size you end up at when you are pursuing healthful behaviors or when you're, you know, when you have a healthy relationship with food or healthy relationship with exercise, whatever that looks like for you, whatever size you end up at when you are healthy, when you're actually doing healthy things on a regular basis and taking care of your body is, is the size that's right for you by definition. And that size could be different for different people and it will be different for different people, right? So some people are super healthful at all, you know, like, you know, really various different way at all sorts of different weights, including weights that would be considered are called fat right? Um, Or that the doctor would say are unhealthy weights. There are actually really healthy people at quote unquote unhealthy weights who are like running and eating vegetables and moving their bodies and doing all sorts of things. And they're in great health, right? All their vitals are awesome. They live a nice, long, healthy life. And they just happen to be genetically designed to be a little bit bigger. And that's, you know, that just sort of is what that is, right? On the flip side, right? You could be a thin person and not taking care of yourself at all and suffer from, you know, various health consequences, you know, not moving, not eating vegetables, not like taking care of your blood sugar, and you just happen to be a genetically thin person. That doesn't necessarily make you healthier than anyone else. It just means that you're genetically designed to be thin. But if you're not taking care of yourself, you know, it just doesn't matter. So, yeah. So I think that that's like spot on. And yeah, and I agree, you know, at the end of the day, you know, health is a spectrum, right? Like, I think, again, it's very easy to get caught up in just your health behaviors being what dictates your self-esteem, right? It's very easy to get caught up in like, I have to do X, Y, Z health behaviors or like, you know, all, all hell is going to break loose. And that actually leads to a lot of dysfunction. It leads to a lot of anxiety. It leads to a lot of just like mental health problems, you know? So for me, the way that I like to think about it is like, if your health doesn't include your mental health you know, we have a problem, right? Like health is a holistic term in my definition, right? It it must include mental health, right? If my pursuit of physical health is disrupting my mental health, what's the point?
0: Yeah, zero point. (laughs) Zero point. Yeah,
1: zero point. Like if I have to be a complete crazy lunatic, like anxious wreck all of the time to be quote health, physically healthy, what is the point? Like the whole point of having physical health is to enhance my quality of life, right? To to be, to have less pain, to have more energy, to be basically to support me in my pursuit of happiness, right? Because my days are numbered no matter what, right? So I want to make my time on this earth count. Right. And so, you know, for me, like, you know, obsessing about how I can live one year longer, what is realistically one year longer or even 10 years longer, you know, but spending my whole life obsessed with how I'm going to love those extra 10 years longer is like a waste of the other 70 years. You know, it's like, what is the point? So, you know, this is all in my opinion it's like the pursuit of health is all about like living like happy, joyous, free life, right? If your pursuit of health is getting in the way of you living a happy, joyous, free life, that's something you got to look in, look at in yourself just to, your emotional and mental health around it.
0: Yeah, I'm so happy that you mentioned also, you know, the years that go by and if you're constantly obsessing about it, that reminds me of um I don't know if you've ever done it, but that future self meditation where you speak to yourself in the future. And I did that meditation years ago when I was starting this work and that lady did not care (laughs) about a lot of things and her life was so much more fulfilling. And she was doing art and, you know, hiking and living in the forest and all these things. And I said, yes, that that is the life that I want. And I think a lot of people get stuck up on like, okay, so now that I'm not in this space, like, what do I do instead? And I think a lot of people think, well, then I just won't be crazy around food. But I'm sure you've seen in your practice that women go on to do pretty crazy things after they no longer care about this, wouldn't you? I mean, you free up so much brain space right? I mean, it's like all of a sudden the world is
1: your oyster, right? Like I used to make the joke, if I wasn't spending, if I spent half the time that I used to spend trying to figure out how I was going to make myself thinner, if I spent half that time, like, you know, putting that time towards a humanitarian pursuit, I would have a Nobel Peace Prize. Like that's the amount of energy and the amount of time that I used to spend on trying to become thin. Imagine what would happen, what my life would be like if I put half of that time towards something like actually used and productive in the world, right? There's something that really like matters in the world. Even if that thing that matters is just like my family, my friendships, my like just like pursuing like a big, bold, beautiful, rich life, right? Being here, enjoying this life, right? Like it's just such a waste of time, especially, I mean, again, it's like dieting doesn't typically make people thinner long-term. Dieting just makes people weight cycle up and down, up and down, up and down. For 95% of people, that is the reality. Most people do not just like, Lose weight and keep it off and have a happy ending. Most people are just jumping on the diet and cycling like wagon, like like diet and cycling like hamster wheel. That's that's the vast majority of people's reality when it comes to dieting, and this is like very well documented in evidence. There's like kind of no way around this reality, and so like if you were just like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like this is not this is not worth my. Energy, right? Like, if I could spend, think about all the energy and time I'm putting into just running on this hamster wheel that ultimately is getting me nowhere. What if I had just spent all of those years and all that elbow grease and all of that mental energy, like just doing something fun or doing something like purposeful in the world or mission oriented or anything, anything, anything? It's like, you know, when you let go of this obsession with weight, it's like all of a sudden you have your whole life. It's like you have, it is like the most incredible like freeing up of your calendar that you could possibly imagine. Um, I think my clients, my clients go on to do like amazing things. I mean, I'll just speak for myself personally. Like there is no way I could run the business that I run if I was still dieting, right? Like, There is no way that I could do like, just like, you know, have the relationships that I have if I was still dieting, right? I just, you know, I feel like I'm so grateful. I'm so lucky. i mean, it's just like incredibly like, you know, like just like healthy, awesome relationship right now and primary relationship right now and it's just like I can't even imagine like you know beginning this relationship with this person if I was like just just like oh my gosh please don't look at my stomach I have to wear a t-shirt during sex because I hate my body so much like you know it's just that kind of stuff so I think that this you know it, it is it is really amazing like what life has to offer you when you let this go, right? Like it's it's probably not going to turn into the giant disaster that you think. The reality of the situation is like you're not really probably like – succeeding at this weight loss goal to begin with like most people out there are not do, very you know most people out there are not succeeding at some like grand weight suppression tactic most people again are just dieting and cycling and just like wasting a bunch of time and making themselves miserable for no good reason and in the meantime it's like okay on the other side if you just let that go and just decided to like kind of accept your body for what it is and get cool with yourself for who you are On the other side is this thing called all the time that you could possibly ever want. On the other side is this thing called, yeah, you can like, you know, it's like the world is your oyster. Like everything you ever wanted, everything, you know, I also, I often think to people or I often talk about. You know, women are constantly waiting on the weight, like I'm sure you've heard this before, like when I when I'm thin, I'll buy the new dress when I'm thin, I'll go on on vacation and um, wear the bikini and, and like, take the trip to Mexico when I'm thin, I'll go on a Tinder date when I'm thin, whatever will happen, right? It's like this magical, fantastic, fantastical thing will happen when I'm thin, you know, if you if you just got rid of the when I'm thin, you could do it now, you know, you could actually have your life now nothing's stopping you except yourself. So yeah, that's kind of, yeah, a big deal is like getting your life back.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's totally a big deal. I know that when I first started thinking about this and I was going through desire mapping. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the desire map stuff. Um, yes. but basically, like my core desired feelings are, you know, freedom, spontaneity and not being tied down and just being free. But I was always so scared of that. And, you know, my husband and I uh, recently sold everything we owned, like everything. We have zero things and we renovated an RV and we live in it now and we travel everywhere. And I would not Woo! like to just think. Of having this life being so diet focused, I mean, there there are weeks where we are eating out at restaurants constantly because there aren't a lot of options, or we're traveling, or you know, there's no Whole Foods nearby, and I can't get this- <laughs> the foods that I want, and to just be constantly planning that stuff, I mean, I would be insane at this point had I hmm. continued down that life. So it's just interesting to see how when you allow yourself that space by not filling it up with. Must create snacks and food, and what am I eating tomorrow? And my meal plan, and how does that relate to my training? And just that constant franticness, your life kind of just unfolds. Like I didn't plan this; it kind of just happened. We were looking at RVs, and we're like, "Could we live in this?" Oh my gosh, we could. We should sell everything and live in this. (laughs) You know, to even have those dreams. And like you said, it's like the time is now. Your life is now, and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I think that was really my turning point. Of like, I just I can't have this life, and I don't care what it costs. I need to see where this path goes. And what's the worst thing that can happen? I gain weight. And you know, that that weight gain to me was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm so much more stronger and more confident and all those like it doesn't even matter anymore. So I'm, I'm so happy that you shared all of this today. And where can people find more from you?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, so, um, you know, if any of this has made sense to any of you, if you're like, oh my gosh, I really do struggle with my relationship with food and I need help, my website, my, excuse me, my free, I have like a video training series that's like an introduction to my work. That's like how 85% of people find me is through stopfightingfood.com. So, stopfightingfood.com is like, it's, yeah, it's just my video. It's like a free introductory video series to like all of these concepts. So, it's a great way to kind of tiptoe if, even if you're feeling scared or nervous or like, what does she mean? Don't diet. You can kind of put your toe into the world of not dieting with the Stop Fighting Food video training series, see how it feels. Or my website, IsabelleFoxandDuke.com. You know, my blog is also, you know, a great place to go. It kind of reads like it reads like a book, you know, like my blog is a great place to just sort of learn uh, the, you know, kind of get the ropes of these kinds of concepts, the psychological principles, the intuitive eating stuff, all sorts of stuff. It's definitely where, you know, again, a good portion of people also find me on my blog. So, and it's really like kind of fun and easy to read. So I would definitely uh, pop over there to sign up for emails. You'll get new blog posts like once a week. They're really awesome. And just, you know, try to be super helpful and help people just relax. And again, make that that mental shift into quote unquote, normal eating.
0: Yes, I totally agree. Your video training series is awesome. I'm part of your newsletter list. So I'll include all of those links in the show notes for today's episode, which you guys can find at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E73. And thanks again so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you.